Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, we are all too old for this shit. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeTheFans.com. Tonight, we get the band back together, and this pod is going to be lethal. It's 1998's Lethal Weapon 4. Now, before we engage the Chinese triad and some serious fisticuffs, along with me are Captain Cash. Hey, hey. Hailing from the back seat of the squad car belonging to Mel Gibson's arresting officer, Chumpzilla. Howdy, loyal listeners. Uh, and tonight we also have two special guests for our Royal Rumble edition of the show. The hosts of the Double Turn podcast and Titans of the Squared Circle. Introduce yourselves. Boss Ross here coming at you from the Double Turn podcast. We've had, of course, Tom the Thunderous Wizard on our show. It is a pleasure to be on y'all's show this evening. And we are happy to have you. What's going on, everybody? This is J-Man, also repping the Double Turn podcast. Thunderous Wizard, Chumzilla, Captain Cash. Absolute pleasure to be here with you guys tonight, man. I just want you guys to know. I just want you guys to know. My friend, Freddy the Frog. I'm sorry, Froggy. My friend, Froggy was still my best friend, but you two are good friends, just different. Very yes. poetic. Thank you yep. for that. Do you, do you need another daiquiri to take Jesus away the Jesus Christ, pain? this movie. <laughs> another three would be good, but, but let's continue. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> points of order, you can find uh, our show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And Instagram! And B.O. Flops. You can find myself on Twitter at WriterTLK, Captain Cash. Where can they find you? Damn it. I'm trying, like, you're talking more than you usually do. C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. And the Double Turn. Where can they find you guys? Double Turn Podcast. You can find us on uh, Instagram, but of course, the Double Turn Podcast. Jorge's uh, Instagram is the one and only JMan19. I'm Ross the Robots 85. Of course, you can also find our show, The Double Turn Podcast, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, CastBox, Pocket Cast, and the Anchor app. Yes. Me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write those down. Can I get oh that God. again? Yeah. <laughs> I, went the, I went through them very fast, but I can go through them again if you'd like. I, I have no doubt your professionalism exceeds ours significantly. Anyway. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So these movies are available to rent. Uh, you just missed them on Netflix. May 1st, they came off. So now you have to pay for what is the origins of Mel Gibson's racism. <laughs> it's more anti-Semitism, but sure. Yeah. Uh, tonight, in honor of Mel Gibson's character, one Martin Riggs, we are drinking Civilized Brute because he is the wild man of Lethal Weapon. It is from Founders Brewing, clocks in at 6.0 ABV, and uh, according to their website, and it is a dry IPA, like a fine brute champagne, this IPA is brilliantly bubbly, refreshingly crisp, and stunningly clear. Designed 
for a more sophisticated IPA drinker. So there you go. Lethal Weapon 4, starring Mel Foot My Mouth Gibson as Martin Riggs. Is Danny, it Foot in the Mouth? Is it more just Mel, I'm a raging asshole, Gibson? Y- yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's many nicknames we could have for Mel Gibson. <laughs> I tried to keep it as nice as possible for poor Mel. Mel, uh, can you lose an Oscar retrospectively just asking for a friend, Gibson? He should for Daddy's Home, too. <laughs> uh, Danny, I was too old for this shit in 1987, Glover, and now I move around like my spine no longer works. As Roger Murtaugh, Renee, I'm pregnant in this one and still kicking ass. Russo as Lorna Cole, Joe, watch the Irishman immediately to wash the taste of this out of your mouth. Pesci as Leo Getz, uh, Chris, I'm just superfluous comic relief. Rock as Detective Lee Butters or Bingers or Bonkers or bozo uh jet what took america so long to exploit me or exploit my talents lee as wasing coup and then i mean to be fair familiar faces from lee yeah Park. technically he's not the asian that is exploited in this movie it's all the other labor they smuggle on the boat and, <laughs> and of course it was directed by the one and only richard donner he directed every lethal weapon movie and he is the master that brought superman to life in 1978 we love you, Richard. This was not your best effort. Still a legend, though. Yes. So Lethal Weapon 4, uh, when we were talking, J-Man, we tossed around the idea of doing every Lethal Weapon, but this became the natural choice because it is by far the most expensive Lethal Weapon. Uh, it costs more than the other three combined at uh, $140 million to make. None of them... None of the other three were above 50 million. 35 was the previous high. So we're going to talk about that later as we go through the plot of this film. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie that has absolutely no reason to happen other than like, hey, the entire first 15 minutes. Yes. Yes. And we will address that. And it's also the worst reviewed lethal weapon at 53% on Rotten Tomatoes and 37 on Metacritic. Which is interesting because even though it's the worst review to me, I don't think it's the worst of the four. I don't either. And I do, I, we are going to rank them at the end. So I want to, I, I kind of want to save that reveal, but it's not, I don't think it's not the worst lethal weapon. I think it's worth noting. It may not be the worst lethal weapon in terms of story, but then you look at the amount of money that was spent on it and it is certainly the most wasteful. Yes, which is also shocking because they shot this thing at a, at a record pace. Amazing. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, fun fact. Joe Pesci was paid a million dollars for his three weeks of work on the movie. Yeah. So that might not have been the best investment, but... Uh, no, that, no, no, that's no. What, that's, what, uh, that's what an Oscar gets you, though, you know? Yeah, hard, what, but exactly. Hard disagree. The million that they paid Pesci for this is absolutely worth more than the $30 million they pe- they paid uh, Mel Gibson for this motherfucker. Uh, yeah, Pesci's not my problem with the movie. Well, yeah, uh, but they add, my point is they added him late. They're like, you know, they tacked on another million bucks, like, in the 11th hour to get Joe Pesci to come back. Yeah. That's so, 1% of the budget. So let's save, save a bit of that. I do want to know how you describe this movie in one sentence. And it doesn't sound like it's going to be particularly favorable. We can start with the J-Man. 
All right, fair play. Um, my one sentence description was, they were all too old for this shit back in 1993. <laughs> like literally. Literally. Chumpzilla. Okay. Mel Gibson and Danny Glover returned for a fourth time to star in a Lethal Weapon sequel that seems to have been written around a Chris Rock stand-up special. Also, Joe Pesci appears as a bumbling PI claiming to be a German Jew. <laughs> that, that happens, yes. Uh, Those are facts, folks. Real Boss Ross. Uh, this is everything that a 1998 buddy cop movie with an ensemble cast that wasted millions of dollars for star power. Yep, that is fair. Uh, Captain Cash. Lethal Weapons sequel zombie. There's no reason for this to exist other than, hey, 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 get up there on stage and jiggle around, make us a couple bucks. Yeah. Uh, I said, you know, it's, it's everything you would love about Lethal Weapon, as in the basically the chemistry between the leads, combined with everything you hate about sequels. Everything. The- this was the monkey's paw wish for one more Lethal Weapon movie. <laughs> what I envision is Richard Donner poking the corpse of Lethal Weapon 3 and it, it twists. He's like, ah, still alive. We can squeeze one more out of this thing. But, you know, that movie made a lot of money. So it makes sense. Like, it grossed more than this one and it cost a fourth. It grossed over $300 million. And that's how you get sequels, folks. Yeah. The Hollywood math said, do it again. That's why we got Rush Hour 3. You never kill a cash cow. Uh, True that. But to be fair, gentlemen, and I'll say this, is it just me or am I the only person that might be actually still pumped up for the potential of a lethal weapon 5? Oh, no, I'm all in. They can take my money now. Just checking. checking. Enough time has passed. I'm all in. Yeah. And, and no, I have not watched the Fox series that just got recently canceled, which, what is it? Dane we'll watch it, it's terrible. Yeah, Sean William Scott, who, who plays another character that's based on Martin Riggs, because the guy that played Martin Riggs got fired. Yeah, it turns out, if you're Martin Riggs, you just hate everything. So, so what, I actually liked Stifler. the first season of that show, yeah. Yeah, Stifler. Stifler I actually became, liked the first uh, season of that show. It was okay. It was okay. Um... It was his interesting. Was, his name was it Chart Riggs. Smart Mark Riggs is long lost cousin. But um, the funny thing is, I was just reading an article about this. The story at the time when they fired the guy playing Riggs in that, they said he was just a total monster on set. But actually, I think the truth might be somewhere more towards the middle. It sounds like Damon Wayne's kind of got rid of him. They didn't like each other. Yeah, but then they basically had recordings of him like screaming obscenities at children in a pool who were like close to the set. So he dug his own grave. I mean, yeah, if you're going to get someone was, to be the Mel Gibson character, I mean, that's you know, method yeah. acting. Yeah. But no, but the, I guess he was directing episodes. And he did. I guess the yeah. breaking point was there was like a stunt mishap. Some like shrapnel or debris came pretty close Hit to Damon Wayne's. Wayne's. In the head. And he blamed him for it. And basically that was it. And after that, Wayne's used his star uh, power because he is the bigger name. That guy was unknown. Uh, and basically don't play said, that, hey, so. yeah, homie, don't play that. And he was like, this guy, he's got to go. He's dangerous. He's a loose cannon. It was like almost too close. You know, it was like art imitating life or life imitating art. But yeah. Anyway. I don't right. even know the guy's name. So I can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, you, if you're in a power struggle with Damon Wayne's and I can't and you lose. your name, you're 
you're probably you're, you're kind of you probably kind of suck at life. Yeah. 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 So right, moving on. Um, let's get to this plot that is all over the place. It is a meandering mess of overstuffed nonsense. So here we go. We open on some Yahoo equipped with a flamethrower and semi-automatic weapon wreaking havoc in downtown LA. Riggs and Murtaugh naturally choose not to wait for backup. I'm going to pause here because this scene is basically the greatest example of this movie not knowing what it needs to do. Can any of you, and I implore you, any of you tell me what is the purpose of this opening? The purpose of this opening is to spend at least $10 million right away. <laughs> I agree with you 100% on that, Captain Cash. If I'm not mistaken, Lethal Weapon 3 opens with an entire building, which, mind you, if I'm not mistaken, apparently a city in Florida needed a building to blow up. So they were like, hey, let's use it for the movie. And they just wanted to one-up it one more time with zero nonsensical things attached to it. Go ahead, my friend, Ross Ross. I can tell you right now that there's that there's absolutely two perfect reasons why this scene exists. First of all, it shows everything horrible and great about the chemistry between Riggs and Murtaugh in an absolutely unbelievable situation. And let's not forget that uh, I believe it was Van Halen 3, their album that came out in 1998, featured a song that was used in this opening scene called Fire in the Hole. That song is awesome. That song Fight is me. I don't care. It fit this scene. Of course it's campy. Of course it's ridiculous. Of course it's over the top. But for Lethal Weapon, for everything they wanted to encompass with the fourth episode in 1998, it's perfectly over the top for me, at least. I will second that. And fun fact, that is the only Van Halen song to appear in a film where the vocals are not done by either Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth. That was that was the album they did. Was that Gary partially, Yeah, the guy from uh, Extreme. Yeah. 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 So that's the only non-Hagar or uh, Diamond Dave Van Halen song in a movie. Um, and I'll give you two more reasons why that scene kicks ass. One, flamethrowers rule. And two, the 90s were a lawless time. They certainly I mean, were. what else do you need to know? Okay, that's fair. I'm, I'm sort of sold, but the Gary Sharon thing puts me on the fence. Okay. To be fair. I think it's unnecessary. In no way, shape, or form do I not think that it's absolutely bitching. I would like so, to clarify. Yeah, I will also argue that that scene is peak 90s action. And that five minutes is better than some entire action movies of that era. Like, it's well shot. I think that's fair. The dialogue's funny. It's, it's, it feels like a Lethal Weapon movie on steroids for five minutes. It's great. It's exactly to open the movie because it just punches you in the mouth right out of the gate. Yeah. Now, I won't defend the boat scene, but we'll get to that. I disagree that, is the, that it is the Lethal Weapon series on steroids, but it is absolutely the neutered 1990s Saturday morning cartoon version of Lethal Weapon as played out in the first 15 minutes. This was the pilot episode of Riggs and Murtaugh get a buddy dog that can talk, and we produced a line of toys. So you're saying this is the Flintstones chewable vitamins version yes. of Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Yes. I'm not sure I agree. I think it was a little more hardcore than that. You never got the chewable vitamin of Danny Glover in his underwear <laughs> doing the chicken? <laughs> really good for you. I, uh, I will say I, there, one of my favorite bits in that entire scene is actually because this is, I mean, it's not really a spoiler because we're talking about this scene. In this scene, 
Riggs find out, finds out that Lorne is pregnant with their kid. And then Murtaugh finds out that his daughter is pregnant and he's going to be a grandfather. And my favorite bit, besides the fact that there's so much fire, is if I'm not mistaken, Raj looks at Riggs and he's like, they're asking me to be a granddaddy? And he's like, yep, uh-huh. It's the perfect simpleness of what makes Murtaugh and Riggs fantastic together. You know what I mean? It does a good job of the character piece. I'll agree with that. But it's an exposition dump. It literally, it comes out of mostly nowhere. Uh, I'm going to be a dad. Oh, uh, you didn't know that you're about to be a dad. Oh, you didn't know you're about to be a grandfather. Uh, all the shit's blowing up around us. This movie's all about exposition dumps, though. Yeah. However, I think they tried to find a creative way to do it, so I give them credit for that. Because this seems like a very Murtaugh and Riggs way of exchanging that info. The only thing I will say that I'll agree with the J-Man on is that is the running gag throughout the film of Murtaugh not knowing who the father is of his daughter's child. And of course, Butters gets involved. I'm not, I'm not totally defending it. I'm just saying at least it fits the running gag that goes on of the guy that's kissing his ass for the whole movie ends up being his son-in-law. True. So at least it sets that up. It, and, it, and it does set up the will me, Riggs, will me. It, it sets up a couple of things. It sets up the joke at the police station with the duct taped photo of him doing the yep. chicken dance. But after that scene, we immediately cut to the fishing scene, which seems to be what should have been the organic opening of the movie. Also and, the pilot of Gone Fishing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So Leo, Riggs, and Murtaugh out for a leisurely fish. They catch a shark and it just flops around on the boat inexplicably. <laughs> Is it just me or minutes. was that one of the sharks that they used in Deep Blue Sea? Like a, a miniaturized, like that was the test version of the Deep Blue Sea shark. No, well, that, was, that was a rubber shark. <laughs> yeah. This to me was the most unnecessary scene in the movie. Yeah, like, except they just needed to show up, up to the, the crime entire scene. plot. But my point is they just need to show up to the the crime scene. They don't need to be in the middle of the shoot. That whole action sequence is just nonsense. They just need to show up at the crime scene. No one would ask any questions why cops would show up at a crime scene. Oh, and they discovered the shot people and the 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 migrant laborers or whatever you want, you know, the refugees. Like they could have just shown up and found that. They didn't need to set it up with a boat fight. But this like, is this is two hundred seventy five thousand of the million dollars they gave Joe Pesci, so they yeah. had to they had to make it. Had to get their money's worth. I, I also True. think that they uh, they might have shot this on the same back lot uh, as they did the boat scene from Dante's Peak. No, this looked. A I'm just saying, very placid. That water was just crystal yeah. clear. Yeah, Great for wakeboarding. I'm, I'm talking no, about not wakeboarding. Boat. Yeah, the, the boat scene at night with everything's dark except for the boat being unnaturally lit. I'm just saying. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the same soundstage they use for Dante's Peak. But anyway. I don't know. Lee, that that boat was... is not into nautical terms. Yeah. Very placid, excellent for paddle boarding. Just super great. That boat was hold the up, size J-Man. of the lake in Dante's Peak. Yeah, hold up, J-Man. I'm a big fan of nautical terms, but only if they come from not James McAvoy. Fair enough. Pirates or pirates. Oh. If they come out of the mouth of pirates, I'm in. Okay. Anybody but a Matthew Modine pirate. <laughs> he doesn't Talking count. He was a speaking, con man. Speaking the pirate was Gina accent. Davis. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, right. This sets up the central plot. A giant freighter full of uh, Chinese refugees who are being smuggled into America. They basically purchased their freedom through the promise of indentured servitude. 
gunshots go off, Riggs does Riggs stuff, and as INS is processing, Murtaugh discovers a family in a lifeboat. Right now, a lot of what follows, wholly unnecessary, which is part of the course for this movie, including a subplot about Riggs being on the take. That is my least favorite subplot of the movie. It has zero payoff. Uh, there are a few things of note. Tender moment shared between Hong, who's the head of the family, and Murtaugh about the beauty of family, and that really is the theme of this movie, and that's how it does have a nice way of wrapping up the franchise. Uh, and Jet Li makes it very clear to fellow Chinese gangster Uncle Benny that he needs two things, that family that Murtaugh has discovered and the release of four prisoners from a Chinese prison who are the heads of a triad. Now, I have a question. Is there anything more foreshadowed in this movie, full of foreshadowing, than the murder of Uncle Benny? Uh, besides the fact that Butters is uh, Murtaugh's son-in-law, you hit it right on the nail. You yeah. hit the nail right on the head. Yes. He... I, I, I'm going to disagree here. When I watched this movie uh, like on Cinemax or whatever back in the day, I did not expect Jet Li to kill Uncle Benny. You didn't expect Jet Li to kill Uncle Benny when the, no. first, the second thing he says to him goes, if we were in Hong Kong, you'd be dead? Well, no, I, I, get, I took that as like it was a threat. Like I'm playing for keeps, but not like I'm going to dispatch you later. And I was also, at the time, I was shocked when he killed – um, what's his name? Hung, Hong, Hong. Hong. Oh, like no, when he just no, I was like, holy crap! Like, cause I thought that was that was part of his collateral, but like he was totally ruthless. Like I was shocked how dark that got. Jet Li oh, was yeah. the highlight they, they, of this movie. Yeah, well, he, they made him very 100%. menacing. They definitely made him very menacing, but yeah, I wasn't expecting that. You know, that was pretty hardcore. Um, but here, so I got a quick follow up question. You mentioned the heartwarming conversation between Murtaugh and Hong. What was more heartwarming for you, that conversation or the froggy speech between Riggs and uh, Leo? Uh, the Leo thing is is more important to the series as a whole. So it's yeah. probably that. But I do like the moment with Hong. I like everything with that, you know, he's basically risking his career for the, this family. Yeah. He's taking a stand late in his career and he's got everything to lose. There, there are good moments in the film, but you got to give it to Leo because Leo's mostly a punching bag throughout the series. Uh, yeah, I found that to be very poignant. Just back to Jet Li really quick because I actually found this interesting because I knew it was around that time frame. Was this – this wasn't his real coming out party because Black Mask was 1996, right? It was this his was a, first American movie. Yeah, okay, this movie so, is what so, got him the role in Romeo Must Die. Okay, so mm. – I only mention that because I'm a big fan of Black Mask. And so even though that's not in, quote, American film, uh, I do remember that Lethal Weapon 4, Jet Li being in this movie was a big deal for his star power coming over and being a star stateside. But I just remembered that time frame and I was like, was Black Mask right before this? And it turns out it was 96, whereas this was 98. So this is pretty much prime introducing the... United States audience to how badass Jet Li really could yeah. be in this yeah. type of role that he would reprise for essentially the rest of his career. And it was only a couple of years before this that Jackie Chan, they started importing Jackie Chan movies. Yeah. And then, of course, he did Rush Hour. Fun fact. That, fun fact. Um, they considered both Chris Tucker 
and Jackie Chan for Lethal Weapon 4. I, I did see that. But and, Jackie uh, Chan backed out because he was going to take the role, but he backed out because he refuses to play a villain. Yep. And then, and of really, course, they go on to do Rush Hour, which came out the same year. It's, it was better for his brand to not play yeah. this character at this particular time yeah. because Jackie Chan became like everyone's favorite martial arts uncle for like the next 20 yeah. years. No, and I think that's just part of his deal. That's his brand. He's like, no, I, I don't play the bad guy. He's Mr. Nice Guy, and he's yeah, in a movie exactly. called Mr. Nice, Mr. Guy. nice guy. Yeah. yeah. Is this Wait, a is similar the- deal to LL Cool J having in his contract he can't ever die in a movie? Boy, don't put him in a movie with The Rock and Jason Statham. Listen, if he he died, who would the ladies then love? Well, I'm just saying, because wasn't the excuse that he didn't want to die on camera so his kids wouldn't see him die in a movie? I'm just saying that that's kind of an exquisite request for actors. And by the way, Chan not playing a bad guy totally makes sense because he was awesome in pretty much everything he touched during that era. I'm just saying, yeah. for those type of movies, Jackie Chan was great. In the same way I want to see Tom Hanks play a bad guy, I would also like to see Jackie Chan play a bad guy. I know. You don't want to see the movie where Tom Hanks is the bad guy, where he's essentially evil Steve Jobs. It is abysmal. Oh, wait, no. No, I didn't see circle. that. We're going we're gonna to pretend that didn't <laughs> happen. Wait, the burbs? It's called The Circle. It's terrible. So just now, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, not to, not to get off track here for a second. Evil Jobs. Sorry, no jobs. Oh my god. Now, Evil. if I'm not mistaken, Jackie Chan, the only time he ever played a villain in his career, wasn't he like one of the bad guys in Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee back in the 70s? Yeah. Yeah. He was an extra, though. Yeah. Yeah. He was an extra. So that's technically. Yeah. The steel wrestling term. He was kind of a jobber back then. Yeah. Gotcha. He was Chuck the, Norris uh, was also in some of those early Bruce He was in yes, Return was. of the Dragon. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah. His so, different name in China. Carlos. Yeah. Carlos. He rips like, off his chest Charlie, hair. Like Charlie Sheen is Carlos Estevez, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah. But to answer your question, Chumzilla, what is the more touching scene out of Lethal Weapon 4 between Han and, and, and Murtaugh sharing that scene and, and then uh, and Leo? I think that they are all very special in their own ways, to be honest with you. Because again, um, you know, we've seen the evolution of Roger uh, throughout the, the four movies. And I can't believe I'm about to go ahead and talk about character development in one of the greatest action series of all time. But bear with me for a second. You've always seen Roger be this guy of he's a family man but then if need be he's he's down to get dirty and th- you saw him in lethal weapon 2 with well black well yeah black you know when he wants to go ahead and and um apartheid in south africa and then in lethal weapon 3 he has that emotional scene where he uh kills um his son's friend on accident because the guy was shooting at him and then you see him kind of overcome that and then you see him in lethal weapon 4 finally have enough and say, uh, you know, my ancestors were mistreated for the, for years and years and years. It's about time that I went ahead and did something about it myself. Besides being the law, I want to also help where I can. And seeing him have that really great relationship with, with Han, um, with Hong, excuse me, here I am talking about Han Solo, Hong, excuse me. Uh, and they say, you know, bread instead of toast. That's a, it's a very cool scene. And he gives him his watch and then later on, it's foreshadowed. He's like, hey, man, I'm over here. I found my watch. And that breaks your heart because you're like, oh, damn, they killed Han. You know, but then you've got Leo. And, you know, after Lethal Weapon 2 came out in 89, so nine years worth of Leo gets getting his ass handed to him by Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh and just basically getting absolutely destroyed. And then it's like, 
Leo never cared that that was the case because he knew that secretly deep down they somehow loved him. Like, I get all emotional, dog. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on mute. Yeah. Well, no, I'll say this. I think the arc you have with Riggs and the closure that that gives him and also the significance for Leo's character, to me, there's a bigger payoff. Oh, yeah, because we, sure. don't, we, don't, we don't know Hong all that well. We do get the, the Murtaugh angle like you laid out. I mean, I agree. There's definitely an arc there for him as a family man. Well, yeah, and I love but, that. Yeah. I love that I'm giving bit the nod the to Froggy. Fair enough. Fair, and I'll agree with you because I, I love towards the end of the movie when Lorna's about to give birth. Uh, or excuse me, this is afterwards. They're, they're, Leo's the one that's going to take the picture. And they're like, no, nah, Leo, you need to get in the picture. You were my best man after all, which is, oh, that's right. Because Leo was right there when the, when the rabbi goes ahead and uh, – Mary's Lorna and Riggs, which is, yeah, it's the simple things like that. Let me say that when Joe Pesci becomes the most culturally sensitive part of your film, that says a lot, doesn't it? That's a lot of dark foreshadowing. Well, and I'll say this because we brought it up. I was going to bring it up later because I don't think we've made it through the plot yet. But No, not even, but that's all right. But yeah, but I will say I did enjoy that hospital scene. I thought that was a really cute way to end it. Mm. And I feel like uh, the guys doing the Fast and the Furious movies have cribbed some notes from this. Just saying. The whole deal with family and the emotional send-offs. And I, I think they said, hey, we can do this. Every movie about mismatched buddies has cribbed notes from movies that came from the 80s, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. funny enough, we were actually going to do the Fast and the Furious before COVID-19 came out and freaking screwed us out of Fast 9. We got to wait a whole other year to go ahead and get this movie out of movie theaters. Thanks, COVID. Yeah. Could have All right, so Thunderous a, was a loss at WrestleMania. <laughs> this movie came out on time. Uh, All right, so, let's get back to business back here, to Thunderous plot, Wizard. Right? So yeah. now you've got, you've got the Hong family with Murtaugh. They're in search for some answers. Some colleagues of theirs who seem to be – like they should be in charge of the case because they know everything about the Chinese triad. <laughs> Point them in the direction of Uncle Benny. Some mildly racist banter ensues and our protagonists finally come face to face with Jet Li. After an ill-fated chasing, two actually critical things happen amongst the several elements that don't matter at all. Ku again demonstrates you don't mess around because he kills the guy that for some outjogs Riggs. So I don't know what that guy did wrong. Uh, and Riggs also begins to understand that he too is now too old for this shit. The problem, for a fourth time. Yeah. The problem for Riggs and Murtaugh, they've now exposed themselves to coup. And as they head back home, they come to find that the, the family, that being Riggs's actual family, the Hongs who are now missing, and Lorna are all taken hostage. Just as a general rule, never expose yourself to coup. Now, here's don't why do point, that. Here's where why I point out he kills the guy who out who beats up Riggs and then outruns him. But as they have this fight at the house, one of his henchmen gets just annihilated by a nine month pregnant lady, and not in like a little way. Like she owns this guy. How does he not get killed immediately after this takes place? Like you're done, buddy. So, Mr. Wizard, here's where I'll make my stand as to why I was confused about Jet Li's demeanor in this movie. I'm not sure why he killed the first guy. Well, it was badass. Let's just throw uh, a mention here to the fish hook he delivers there. That was epic. Yes. Uh, 
and then he hits him with the piano wire prayer beads or whatever. So, yeah, I was confused. Like, okay, so he killed that dude for, I, I don't know, reasons. So, and then he doesn't kill the guy that gets embarrassed by Rene Russo or is that Gina Davis, whoever. And so the point being, I, I don't quite understand his motivation. So that again leads to my surprise when he murders people that I'm supposed to like or, or recognize in the movie. Uh, that confused me. He seemed inconsistent. Oh, I think I have an answer for that, gentlemen. If I'm not mistaken, um, right when that scene is about to go ahead and pick up from the restaurant, Riggs says, oh, I know the guy. That's the captain. So Wasing Ku, I think, mm. found out that Riggs and Murtaugh recognized them as the captain from the boat scene. So it's like punishment for him basically putting himself out there too much, potentially. Now, this is just me overthinking it but no it might I, be, you're right you know yeah they're, they're I, I, like hey that's the captain and they go after him and then the you know the dumbass waiter thinks that he should run too which he's is compromised <laughs> yeah he, exactly. he knows too much and the cops know who he is now exactly All right, tying up loose ends okay i get it Either i did way, not pick up on that the, guy the correct that answer so owns has to go you the correct answer me. is coup a ahead of his time feminist understands that nine months pregnant lady is not to be fucked with they're basically superhumans and I'll, to have your ass beat by one of them well, you know that seems fair i'll so back she, that up uh, and say there's a chance that he saw lethal weapon three and saw how much ass she kicked in that movie so he's like i'll give my guy a pass she's a badass also technically the mother of thor so potentially an ass guardian so there you go uh, there's huh? the, you know i guess i didn't take that into account <clears throat> Either way, that guy's getting like, he's got to like clean the toilets for a couple weeks at the very least. It was a pitiful display. He got like thrown through a table. He, he, he took a chair shot to the back. Um, also, this is the same guy who uh, was throw, showed his son how to throw daggers that starts in hutch. That's the same dude. By God, is that a steel chair? <laughs> well, the, uh, I was going to say, man Jeffy, has a family. Jet Li must have killed the, the one guy because he was a Chang Sing. It was a Chinese standoff. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, another fun fact from Chumpzilla. In that scene, uh, obviously, Jet Li takes out uh, Gina Davis. And he was actually <laughs> terrified. Or, I'm sorry, Julia Roberts. Uh, she was actually terrified of filming that scene because how fast his kicks were. Like, at one point, she refused to open the kitchen door. And they had to like coax her into it's okay. He's not going to actually kick you. He's he's got that kind of control because she was just that afraid of uh, you know his uh, skills. Well, there's a couple. So, of, we'll just kind of go through things that you know are uh, interesting facts about the movie. That way, when we finish the plot and the questions, we'll just get into our trivia challenge. But he was literally so fast, the film wasn't catching everything he was doing. Yes. So they're like, you have to slow down. And in that fight scene, because Riggs always fought the bad guy alone in every Lethal Weapon movie. It's Riggs and the bad guy. They saw the tape. They played the tape back of Jet Li unleashing on him and said, no one's going to believe he can beat this guy. They have to double team him. And that's why Murtaugh is in that scene. Because Jet Li was so fast on film. They're like, no one will ever believe that Mel Gibson can beat this guy. I 100% agree with you on that, Thunderous yeah. Wizard. And what I will also say was there's a few things, and I know we'll get to this as we get into like the trivia challenge and whatnot, but I, one thing that I didn't like about this movie 
was some of the editing, especially with like, you could tell that they definitely laid over the dialogue over some scenes when they shouldn't have. And it was, you could definitely tell. But one thing that I can appreciate is that Richard Donner and his editing team did a tremendous job uh, as best as they could with Jet Li's movements, because uh, the you nailed it. You nailed it when you talked about Rene Russo being terrified to walk out of that door to take that kick. It is so beautifully shot. I, I have to commend them for that. I got to commend Rene Russo for like the you know not sticking her head out too far. And shout out to Jet Li because that kick was like near perfection. It is seriously like some of the best footage you could possibly imagine of of Jet Li in, in his America, in his America debut. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think it was the greatest fight choreography, you know, for Jet Li because no, it he wasn't. can do so much, but I think, yeah, uh, to your point, his American co-stars hung with him as well as they could or as best as they could. And that probably hampered a bit what he could do. And like uh, Mr. Wizard said, they had to slow some stuff down, but yeah, that final fight was pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. Be fair. Brutal too. Technically, Gibson is Australian. Well, fair play. We don't want to own him. We don't have to own him. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think we picked him up in the racial draft a few years back. Oh, did we? Yeah, I think we did. I don't, I don't feel like that's we did. a really bad pick. No, even in the late yeah. rounds, <laughs> it's not a great pick. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, was he part of the trade for Jordan Peele? Because if so, okay, it was part. Of, it was part of a three-way trade when we sent Madonna to the UK, and it just it got complicated. I still don't feel like that was a good a good call on our part. Yeah, it was it, it, basically it was you know we were taking on a bad contract to unload Madonna. I mean, it's it's dead it's dead money, and yeah, basically yeah. by the time Mel Gibson has to retire, we've got a whole bunch of free cap space. So I don't feel like we keep yes. this. All right, so back to the movie. <laughs> Koo and Co. light uh, Riggs's house, uh, Murtaugh's house on fire. That poor house has been through more than, I think, any house in film history. Uh, Minus Home Alone. Then a lot of stuff happens, and we still don't really know what Koo wants. And the plot hits warp speed. It goes into this incredible car chase, which is the highlight of the movie and probably a third of the movie's budget. Uh, and then they go talk to the same colleagues who know more than they know about anything, apparently. And they're like, oh, yeah, they'll be right here. It's like, wait a minute. Why didn't you tell them this 40 minutes ago that this is where the Chinese gangsters all congregate to make bad deals? I have the answer to that. And that's uh, we didn't write that until just now. So yeah. which is accurate. So, of course, the plot of this movie is that Ku had kidnapped. Hong's uncle. He needed Hong to blackmail the uncle into printing funny money so he could buy back the freedom of the foreheads of the Chinese triad. We get there. Turns out Ku's brother is a, kind of a worthless clown and does nothing awesome like his brother does and dies. And bing, bang, boom, fist cuffs, Jet Li beats the shit out of people. He gets stabbed with a piece of uh, iron. Movie ends or does it because then there's another 25 minutes of other things that happen. <laughs> This is absolutely the return of the king, Lord of the Rings. Is this over yet? It's not over yet. There's still more? It's, it's, it's that scene there. It's the cemetery. It's the hospital. It's the let's find the moil or the rabbi. <laughs> and I mean, at, 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of Moyles are rabbis, but yeah, it. I, I still been, enjoy the whole like, wait, how do the Muggles do it thing? Like, I, yeah, I gotta kick the, out of that. The Goyim, how Goyim, do the Goyim yeah. handle this? Yeah, but like, at least with Lord of the Rings, it's telling one single story, whereas here, like, I, I watch this at home. I'm like, I, okay. No, I'm just okay. saying this is one single story. This is one single story. It's about the friends we made along the way. They become family. <laughs> the Boom. real lethal weapon Roll is the credit. friends we made along the way. And it is the best scene and their of the movie. family is just Leo, get in here. Q, why can't we be friends? Snapshots, because this was for all intents and purposes. You think it's the end of the franchise, which it probably still is. Uh, yeah. And you get that nice little like, oh yeah, we've been with these guys since 1986, right? Yeah. You know? And by the way, in, throughout the entire conversation here, we we didn't even mention the fact that for the first time in nine years, Riggs and Marta they get promoted from sergeants not to lieutenants but to captains because the LAPD's insurance cannot cover the yeah. that they've done since 1987. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Captain Cash, Captain Wizard, Captain yeah. J-Man, Captain Ross, Captain Captain, Captain Captain Captain, Captain Captain, 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 Captain. Of course, then they promptly drive through an office building and an Asian guy gets hit by an 18-wheeler. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, there's conveniently two black Mercedes, one heading eastbound, one heading westbound, and they go east because China's east, even though China's actually west from Los Angeles. But hey, that's just talking. another bit of uh, this movie's great sensibility. <laughs> yeah, some this... hardcore 90 sensibilities here. There's a lot of questionable material. But hold on, I've got a question. I'm no math whiz, but why are there four guys running a triad? I know, I was going to say that. I feel like there's four, but it's a triad. Uh... I mean, I'm not sure what the real logistics there of Chinese gangs and all that, but I just feel like by default it should be like a rule three. of three. Three. Yeah, I think I once again have a convenient answer for you there, Chumzilla. Um, I think now remember one of the four fathers is this old ancient mofo, right? The guy that Jet Li gives his gives the the nice glasses to when he goes yeah. prison. So maybe he is nearing retirement, and he is that third triad, and he brings in a fourth, or not a third triad, excuse me, a third father, but he brings in a fourth father to kind of transition him into his position of power that is a horrible excuse i'm gonna give partial credit there because i appreciate the creativity but i'm not buying it that was actually uncle benny's uncle that's (laughs) like a like a like a stepfather like a like a stepfather to the triad yeah it was you you can't tell me what to sell as far as drugs you're not my real dad I i mean yeah they should have been a legit thruple here Thruple, thruple. No, thruple. You had it. Thruple, thruple. So, so hey, and you know uh, what? We've uh, and the funny thing is, in your plot reflection there, Mister Wizard, you kind of breezed over the whole fact that they just completely shoehorned in, like probably a good twenty minutes of Chris Rock's worst stand-up. Every bit of that, though, is the stuff I'm talking about, which is what I. This is my question, right? This script apparently was revised constantly. This movie was shot yes. in six months. So from rolling cameras to screen, they had six months to finish this movie. Now, usually we can take up to six months to just shoot an action movie, let alone cut it, edit it, 
put it together, et cetera, and so on. Uh, and Shannon Gibson, he'd done a lot of TV work. He, he was doing the majority of these rewrites. And he said he, this script underwent more revisions than any he'd ever worked on. So my question is like, do the seams show? I think they do. And I think that's basically what you were just bringing up. So you can lead us off, Chumpsilla, but this is a Frankenstein, not the likes of which we have seen before on this pod because we've seen some real Frankensteins, but there are some things that you're just like, why is this in here? What is the purpose of this? Yeah. So thank you for giving me the floor here for a second. I, um, I did a little research on this and everything you've said is correct. And yes, I think the seams do show Although I'll give Richard Donner some credit. I think he did his best to make chicken salad here because overall, I don't think the movie really suffered from it other than the fact that it's bloated. I think at the end of the day, the biggest sin is there was just too much. He probably should have just taken some out or simplified some of the B plots. It's, it's the, you got to kill your darlings at some point. So what, yeah. what are you willing to lose? Because if you cut 15 minutes out of this movie, it's a better movie. Yeah, and it's not the it, some of the stuff I maybe didn't quite catch, and, and, and J Man's translating for me here. But I don't think like the movie didn't make sense. It's not like stuff what was left unanswered. I think it does a really good job of tracking all that stuff. It kind of gets wild and then it brings it in, and things get tied off. But it's a lot. Um, so anyway, yeah. So you know, one of the original scripts was considerably darker than what we got, mm. and in this one. Uh, it was more in the tone of the first movie. It was kind of to come back to that, to kind of rein things in after three. And at the time, Mel Gibson wanted Riggs to die. And that was in the script because he, that was how he wanted to go up at two, if I'm not mistaken. He That's was the reason why always she supposed to die. Film. Yeah. yeah. Right. Riggs so was he, never he, meant to be survive. a franchise character. Riggs so was they supposed were gonna, to bite the bullet or eat the bullet at the end of so the weapon. Yeah. So he pulled a Harrison Ford on this. He said, I'll come back and I'll do four, but you got to kill me. For real this time. And so that, that w- the original scripts had that in there. But s- at some point, he changed his mind. So basically, they were two-thirds of the way into this movie before they finished the script. And that was on top of all the continual revisions. For example, they didn't bring Joe Pesci in until the very end. Chris Rock's character was originally just going to be a gay police detective. He was not going to be the secret husband. That was in, a different in turn. Just turned into more of their mostly questionable humor. Jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so obviously, every so they had to rewrite that character completely. Um, and it, one of the parts of the movie that shows that probably the biggest gap in here, he shares no screen time or dialogue with his wife. He has one line, call like call me later or something. It's after yeah. the fire, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so anyway, um, I think one of the things I really didn't like about it was that uh, they kind of let Chris Rock just do whatever. I feel like he ad-libbed a lot of stuff. I feel like his character's tone shifted dramatically. And I feel like Donner should have, like, reined him in a little bit. Like, hey, man, tone it down a notch. Because his character's wildly uneven. And, frankly, even that over-the-top introduction scene on the shore after the boat, like, I get it. That was supposed to be cringy a little bit, but it wasn't like funny cringy. It was just kind of bad. And it, that character just didn't make any sense to me. And I feel like either they needed to tone that down or they could have just taken that out. Because frankly, we didn't need the angle of Murtaugh being, uh, uh, Murtaugh being a grandfather. I think having Riggs's 
paramour pregnant was enough. He's already a family man. Like you don't need to double down on the family angle with him. Was Sorry. this was this was this peak Chris Rock being like big time comedian at this point? This is he probably got the he probably beat out the people and he beat out Will Smith, Chris Tucker, Eddie Murphy, Lorenz Tate, all considered. They went okay. with Chris Rock. I think it had to be right around I forget the name of the con the stand-up special. Uh and Living okay. are you talking about Living Color or no, he did some huge special. Bigger and blacker? Yes, and he was at the peak of his, of his standing okay. powers. So the reason I bring that up is because Jorge and I do a wrestling podcast, and a lot of times when we talk about TV or podcasts or just characters in general, especially for the big events like WrestleMania, they want mainstream appeal. So even though Lethal Weapon 4 is the culmination of this big, long series, and you have this ensemble cast, if Chris Rock is at the peak of his career, and by the way, Trumpzilla, everything you said about reining in Chris Rock and, and toning that back is absolutely correct because it did get completely out of control. But I think for that time period in this movie, they probably thought of it as, oh, we have this really successful comedian. He's totally over the top, which at this point, the over-the-top comedy had not totally lost its luster at this point especially coming from a voice like a Chris Rock and so they probably filmed this and probably said oh this stuff's going to be really over and it's going to add some much needed not necessarily levity but it's going to add something different to the series to bring a just bring more audience into a series that already had its following through the first three movies so I only use the whole mainstream appeal and maybe that's cliche but in a sense, for this movie, for this time period, at some levels, the Chris Rock character fits the ensemble, what they were trying to go for, as to say, this is Lethal Weapon 4, it's supposed to be the biggest lethal weapon we ever have, and we're going to have all these different types of characters. So I only mention that because I had to ask if Chris Rock was at his peak, which you answered, so that fits everything I just said. So I have one question to ask then, and I post this to the whole group, because you're right. They, they saw this guy as a rising star and they gave him carte blanche. They said, just, hey, go nuts. Just keep rolling. Do you think his chemistry worked well with – because quick aside here, you've got eight core characters that have been in all four films, okay? You've obviously got the two lead characters, but you've got Rene Russo. You've got uh, Murtaugh's family. Um, his kids all played by the same uh, actors and actresses. And Joe Pesci's been in, what, three of them? It wasn't in the first one. three, yeah. Yeah. So you've got a lot of folks that have worked together on these movies. So, so there's basically nine people, 10 if you count the dog. Um, so did Chris Rock fit in? I don't think he fit in. That's my biggest problem. I don't think he really, his shtick. No, I'll blame the script to a certain degree, but I still feel like they used him in a way or wrote him in a way that he really meshed. Everything he did did not feel organic to me. Do you guys agree? Uh, I disagree. I thought he actually... I thought to me personally, he wasn't meant to fit in to begin with. That was his whole character. Because if you remember the scene when uh, I can't believe it, I'm actually trying to be, you know, methodical about this, but bear with me for a second. Right. Remember in the scene when, the, when uh, cap, uh, he, he, um, he promotes Riggs and Murtaugh, right? What is he talking about? He's talking about the police force at the time, because this is 1998. They're almost at the millennium, right? He's talking about like, we're dinosaurs, we're old, you know, you got guys with bachelor's degrees and guns and things of that nature. And that's what Butters is supposed to be the embodiment of, right? So he, 
as a character is this young dude who's like 25 years younger than than Riggs is and like 35 years younger than Murtaugh is, he was never supposed to be fitting in to begin with, first off. Second of all, you throw in the fact that ever since Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2, really, Murtaugh has been super protective of, of Lorraine, right? He's been super protective of her. Remember in Lethal Weapons 2, she's in that commercial about condoms and then the whole station makes fun of him for it because he's super like, oh my God, this is a horrible, meh. And, and then of course, you know, he, he thinks that Lorraine's going to suck in the movie that she's playing in in Lethal Weapon 3. So the, uh, to me, and, and this also kind of answers your question from earlier, whether or not we needed to see Murtaugh be a granddaddy. I think that it made sense because you've been seeing him be so overprotective of his quote unquote non thing that's called youth. And, and it's just showing, just really digging it in that Murtaugh has really been too old for this shit from the very, very beginning. But that's, I like that and I can really appreciate it. And basically to, to correlate everything I'm trying to say, Butters is not meant to fit in, but I will say chemistry wise, I don't think that he's the, the the chemistry that he's got the best with is probably with Joe Pesci. I yes. thoroughly agree that the scene when he's in the back of the car and they have that, you know, who, who do I look like? The freaking Crips accountant. It's it's fantastic. And then the scene when they're talking about Afghanistan, Afghanistan. They're talking about he has he didn't talk to anybody in Afghanistan for three hours. I don't talk to my daddy for three hours. It's 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 great. And, and it goes back to Joe Pesci, to Leo Getz's, they screw you, they screw you, they screw you with everything. And it makes all the sense in the world to me. His scenes with Pesci are very funny. They're also, they're not necessary, but they're very funny at least. Totally because over the if, top, yes. if they didn't work, then it, it'd be even more glaring that they had no business being in there because that is really just them wanting to hang out and probably Im- improv. Yeah, fair enough. Fair uh, enough. I, I, again, maybe... But, what sticks with me is that they don't feel organic. It's not that well, they aren't funny. And that they, it's just like, to your point, maybe no, Mr. they don't Wizard, need to be in the movie. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe that's what's turning me the off. The whole reason he's in the movie is this is far before the time where being an old action star was cool. And Danny Glover was always considered old because that's how they build the characters being old, even though he still looks like he's in great shape in this movie. Uh, but Mel Gibson was getting old. And they're like phasing him out. They needed a young person to appeal to a young audience. And they chose Chris Rock because he was popular at the time. That's the only reason he's in the movie. Now, I'd be perfectly fine if you cut that subplot out. But the fact that it's in there, they had to establish that he had some sort of relationship with the daughter, which they don't. And that's the biggest sin of him being in the movie. Uh, Now, besides all that, this is an action movie. Best action scene in the movie. I think this should be pretty short and sweet. I think it may even be unanimous. We'll start with you, J-Man. I probably will have to say the car chase throughout the freeways in Los Angeles. I mean, when you watch that action sequence and now that Mercedes is driving way too close to that truck to begin with. I will give it that. But overall, um, you know, you get a chance to see. I, one thing that I appreciated about this whole, and I'll keep it sweet. I apologize, others, but I will say that Danny Glover really got a chance to get more involved in the action more than he ever had really in the, the prior lethal weapons. And so he's the one that's driving the car. Um, and then he, he saves rigs on more than one occasion in this film. Um, and 
just I mean, they run a grand a grand am through a building, man. They run a grand am through a building. That's the only time a Pontiac Grand Am has ever looked good in a in a in a in a movie. A, a big theme of this movie, and this is probably from the original script where Riggs died, is Murtaugh saving Riggs from himself. Because Riggs has always had the penchant to put his own life in peril up against better judgment. And the whole thing is like, you have to think about more than yourself now. And so he does, he goes above and beyond to save him. Uh, Captain Cash, special action scene in the movie. Listen, I hate to say it, but especially after I poo-pooed it. But the opening scene is just so fucking crazy over the top. I really like, listen, it's, it's not good, but it's so fucking cartoony that I, I kind of bought in right away. It's, it's definitely not super necessary, but the guy does have a, a semi-automatic weapon and a flamethrower. And you're just kind of like, I wonder what this guy's goal is but I'll watch him blow some shit up. Not applicable at all. Does he have a goal? He doesn't. It doesn't matter. That's fine. Real quick, can I ask a question? Is If I'm not mistaken, throughout the whole action sequence, isn't the dude wearing the headphones outside of his helmet? How do you listen to Van Halen if you've got a full metal helmet on? They had to figure out a way to get that needle drop in there. They just had to improvise. Okay, fair play. Now, he, I do see him like turn up the, the, his Walkman, by the way. Turns Shout out, out uh, it was plugged into nothing. The guy was just a schizophrenic. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think the big thing there was some product placement as well. They had to get the Sony Walkman on screen. Well, you got to pay for the budget somehow. Yep. Uh, Boss Ross, best action scene in the movie? Uh, Definitely the car chase scene on the freeway. I will sum it up very quickly, and that is when you talk about late 90s um, action movies like this, you want short, punchy dialogue. You want very quick action along with slowed down action, like the fight within the truck scene that then quickly devolves back into him being on the table, which then he then finds a way to jump back into the car, which then continues the car chase scene. And then, of course, they go through the building. It's everything you want out of anything cheesy when it comes to action, but it works because, of course, you have these two characters that are established. They have this great chemistry. Again, the short, punchy dialogue, which is prevalent through this entire movie, especially shows up in these quick little action scenes and you can you can say with the editing and stuff like that in in some places was a little rough but at the same time for again this time period and that's the theme that i've really been on is this is total perfect 90s action over the top ridiculousness and it's great there's a little scene there's a little part in that scene when uh Riggs is driving on the freeway. He's like, Damn, I'd give my right arm for a siren right now. And you just hear Murtaugh say, Oh and yeah, he starts making siren noises. Uh Chumpsilla. I'm gonna second Captain Cash's vote here. Uh, <laughs> that insane opening scene. Um for one reason, one reason only. You know, it is ridiculous it doesn't make a lot of sense and i love the fact that they never explain what the human tank was trying to accomplish because it doesn't matter it, it literally didn't need to be explained he just needed to be stopped um and it was just a great way to open the movie it goes from zero to 100 right off the bat and my only knock on the car chase scene is that and maybe it's you know suffering because of what i've seen afterwards i've seen better car chase movies on the freeway so for whatever reason, that one just doesn't hold up as well for me. I get, I just enjoy the campy, visceral nature of that opening scene. And it's great because it's five minutes. It's just five minutes. 
It's got that short, punchy dialogue, and it's just really satisfying. Like, I enjoyed it. It was fun. And don't forget, like, the Rocketeer, after he gets shot, he goes, like, flying into the gas station. <laughs> Very cartoony, I agree, but awesome. Uh, and it's I, peak I, 90s. It's also peak 90s. I think it's the opinion, car chase. Too. The car chase is top-notch practical action. It's incredible. Uh, the Jet Li stuff is is fun and it's good, but it's clear Donner was not used to directing that sort of stuff. And if you watch any sort of Asian martial arts cinema, you've seen Jet Li do things that are a hundred times cooler. So yeah, that, let me ask the the panel this, especially uh, the double turn guys, because you're you're combat sports and theatrical combat sports to a certain degree. Do you think that Donner? I, well, of course, I think the answer is going to be yes, but. I think he probably dropped the ball not bringing somebody from the Hong Kong scene in to help use Jet Li. I feel like they didn't get all they could have got out of him. They didn't because, have time. It's yeah, six maybe months, that was the problem. You know? I, don't think, I don't think you can. You just got to do – you got to work on the fly. He was probably so, literally taking dailies and editing them and putting them together. So, yeah. Chumpzilla, are you saying like somebody in the cast should have been able to play off of him or they should have brought somebody over to help – direct the fight choreography yes the the uh, latter there a fight choreographer more familiar with the hong kong style of you know martial arts movies it's not the donner does with you yeah donner does his way around action but there's a different cadence and you know the the dance of those kinds of hand-to-hand combat scenes they did okay and like i said i give the i give the uh you know Mel Gibson and Danny Glover credit because they hung pretty well with him. That fight scene in the end was brutal. It, it was kind of believable. I still think in the real world, those guys don't stand a chance. The two of them, it doesn't matter. They, they, a dozen of them, it wouldn't have mattered. They do it effectively enough because Mel Gibson's character is such a like brawler, an awkward, like all over the place brawler. But the best part of it to me is when he finally pulls him in, he just starts headbutting him in the face. Yeah. You're yeah. Like, it, Yes, and they're that's they're a little bigger. They have bigger this. They, they have bigger frames. They are bigger. Danny Glover was is huge. Like he's he, enormous. There, there's definitely a huge height. He's a big guy. Yeah. And Mel Gibson, and it's very noticeable throughout the first three movies. And then when you add in a guy with the frame of Jet Li, um, it was very cool to go ahead and see Danny Glover's size be used to somewhat of an advantage in these fight scenes especially in the house when he's you know brawling with 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 the baddies you know he's the the big lamp and he's like trying to choke out one of the dudes and then in the final fight sequence with jet lee like he's using full-on his his fist he's clubbing him up and blasting jet lee in the back of the neck and uh things of that nature and and using the headbutts um I, i give credit for for to answer your question, Chumzilla, I think that they did the best they could, but I will, I will say this. I can't really use that. I, Richard Donner should have probably known a little bit better because if you go back to Lethal Weapon 1, right, and what's Riggs' character always been about? He's actually been more of a karate kind of guy from the very beginning, especially when he has that fight sequence with, is it Dr. Joshua that's the bad guy in Lethal Weapon? Gary Stop. Busey. Yeah, Gary, Gary Busey. It's doc, it's, or, yeah, Joshua um, is his name in the movie. And um, you know, Gary Busey is always Gary Busey in whatever film he's in. Fair play. It's far before Gary Busey was uh, was it riding the white tiger. Um, I will say this: Gary Busey was not Gary Busey in the Buddy Holly story. He was excellent in that. 
it was he's excellent all lethal weapon there. He's incredible he, in lethal weapon. He's awesome in lethal weapon. I will give him that. But yeah, no, as himself. Richard Donner should have probably known a little bit better how to use Jet Li. But again, I think that the yeah. timing, the timing of how long that they had to film this movie probably hurt. But I will say that um, you know, Jet Li did his very, very best to freaking knock it out of the park with those with his fight scenes. It was simply, simply astonishing. He did some very cool stuff, especially pulling the guns apart, snapping the gun out of the person's hand with his legs. Uh, but that that goes to the script issues. This was not originally Chinese gangsters. It went through a multitude of different, like, oh, we'll do Russians. Oh, we'll do this. Oh, we'll do this. And they finally settled on, we'll do the Chinese triad. So, you know, it, poor planning and poor design, you know, winds up strapping people uh, for time. So before we close out this first segment, I want to really quickly have us all rank the Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, you can just... Give it a quick order, and whoever would like to begin, go ahead. I vote the Rastafarian. Okay, boss Ross. All right. Uh, so I will. Uh, I'll take the lead on this. Am I going? Am I going worst to best or best to worst? You can go worst to best. Worst to best. Uh, I'm going to say definitively, Lethal Weapon Four is the worst. Um, I actually think Lethal Weapon 3 barely edges it out on a couple of different levels, but just because of a lot of the things that we've talked about uh, in this episode, um, to me, Lethal Weapon 4 is the worst. I will say 3 barely edges it out and makes it at the third spot, and then it's a really tough toss-up between 1 and 2. I will simply say, just because it holds such a special place in my heart of diplomatic immunity has been revoked, that, along with a bunch of other things that happened in that movie, two is my favorite, which means one ends up being in the second spot, and number two, with all the Krugerrand and all the nonsense and the plastic on the floor, and it's just all perfect lethal weapon nonsense. So again, as a, as a recap, um, I go four, three, one, and two, two being the best. Okay. Hey, hey, just real quick. Uh, I want to know who's in charge of this pod. You guys. Well, that's just been revoked. Son of a bitch. You stole my plan. I uh, listen. I, I can't do that better than uh, boss Ross. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Nope. That, that, that was it. That was the correct answer. Well done, okay. sir. Uh, J man. You know, for the longest time, I thought four was the worst one. But after having a very good conversation with the Thunderous Wizard over the past couple of days and having rewatched the four movies last month when they were all on Netflix, um, you can be more right when you say that the villain from three was absolute hot garbage. So I will unfortunately take my pride and take my ball and go home and say Lethal Weapon 3 is the worst one, followed by Lethal Weapon 4. Because to me, what makes it better is the fact that Jet Li is a fantastic villain in this movie, even though he has like three lines. Um, Lethal Weapon 1 is so dope, but it's, it's the perfect like set the bar and Lethal Weapon 2 just blows it up by just a tad. That chase sequence at the beginning of 2 and he's like, oh, I can make it in... in, in uh, in Trisha's station wagon, and they don't not they don't clear that rail at all. Um, he's like, "Yeah, you were right. We we didn't make it through." Um, and the pulling down of the house on the stilts in his in his dually is such a sick action sequence. 
And then you also get a chance to get a, a really nice humanized version of Martin Riggs because you find out that the dude killed his wife. Like that dude was the guy that killed his wife. So all of that being said, Lethal Weapon 2 is the number one. Lethal Weapon 1 is number two. So I go three, four, one, two for me. Chapzilla. All right, fair enough. For whatever reason, 2 just doesn't resonate with me. I, I don't know. I, that's, that's, that's interesting because I – I'm not a huge Lethal Weapon fan, don't get me wrong, but um, I've seen all these movies a handful of times back in the day, like on Cinemax or HBO or whatever. I feel like they were on all the time. They were on um, a lot. But I, I do have nostalgia for four, so that definitely clouds my vision a bit. Um, so I'd rank them worst to best, three, two, four, and one. Because, yeah, I really enjoy the first one. I mean, it, it was a fun movie. Um, a little darker, more serious. And I think that's what really kills three for me because three was kind of like the jump in the shark movie. Three is so stupid. Even the trailer. I just re I didn't watch that again for the, the pod, but I did watch the trailer and even the trailer, like seeing bleach blonde, Joe Pesci, I'm just like, Oh God, this looks horrible. And it just, it just seemed real cheesy and weird. I'm like, yeah, I don't, that's not a movie I want to watch. So whereas th this one, I think again, it's a little bloated, but I, yeah, I like it. I would right. say uh, three. The villain is the biggest problem. He's just corny. Ex-cop or angry bad cop selling uh, guns to gangs. Cop at point, killers. At, at the point where he walks into a witness interrogation room and kills a witness and then just walks out. It's like, oh, nobody knows who did this. It's like, you saw the guy walk in there. And then he shoots a guy at a hockey game. It's a stupid movie. Uh, it's still good because all the Lethal Weapon movies are good to, uh, to a certain degree. So 3, 4, because as much as I've crapped on 4 tonight, I do enjoy 4, and Jet Li is awesome in it. 2, love Lethal Weapon 2 for all the reasons you said, J-Man. And then 1, I think 1 is by far the best. Uh, Martin Riggs kind of turns into a caricature as the series goes on, and he's a really dark character in 1, and it's just a damn good movie. And, of course, Busey. So. Yeah, now Busey's dope in Lethal Weapon One, and you know to give credit to Lethal Weapon One, like Mel Gibson really outdoes himself in that film. I mean, the 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 uh, the way he portrays Martin Riggs, like Riggs is su flat out suicidal in One, um, yeah. and then the, the yeah. torture scene in the middle of One, uh, when he's hanging on to the chains that him and uh, and Murtaugh's daughter are are both uh, and Murtaugh are all kidnapped and whatnot. It's a it's an intense, brutal, brutal scene. And I will give them all the credit in the world for knocking out of the park. But Lethal Weapon 2 is still, it's absolutely fire. Here's what I will say to the villain from Lethal Weapon 3. If you come across as less menacing than the dad from Dharma and Greg, you're not going to be in the villain business very long. Because that is uh, Joshua's boss in Lethal Weapon is Greg's dad from Dharma and Greg. You know your, you know yes. your villain card? That villain card? It's just been revoked. Yeah. Who runs Barter Town? So uh, we'll take a quick break. No. We come back. Uh, well, it's another great Mel Gibson franchise. But. Yeah, sorry. We'll take a quick break. <laughs> sorry, we'll I back. think you mean a great Charlie Theron franchise. No, no dude. Yeah, Fury, Fury Road was she, significantly better than. That? No. Yes, yes, she is. The Road. Oh yeah, Warrior. she's a star of that for sure. But it's not as good. It's not as good as uh, Mad Max Two is, is the best Mad Max movie. Yeah. 
Fury yes, Road is the best Mad Max movie. Listen, I love Fury Road. They're all they're it's great. A, it's a solid number two. But obviously Thunderdome is weird. Whatever. We're, we're not talking about that tonight. We're going to come right back. And when we do, we have a special game. Reunited, and it feels so good. We're pitting the Double Turn podcast against the Hops and Box Office Flops dudes in a tornado tag of epic proportions. No holds bar. <laughs> Everything's legal except fish hooks. We'll be right back. What? Jet Li's disqualified. That's basically 90% of my fighting style. Hello, welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops to our special Royal Rumble episode with the Double Turn podcast. Before we begin our Tornado Tag Trivia Challenge, I'm going to let them reintroduce themselves and tell you where you can find their show. So I kind of bogarted it last time. So Jorge, if you want to take the lead, you, you can. Otherwise, I'll just do it again if you want. I don't care. It's all good, brother. I, I've learned from the best. Let's try this. What's going on? Getting pen and paper. Let's make this happen. I know, right? This is the J-Man from the Double Turn Podcast. Uh, we are a wrestling show out of uh, Phoenix. And myself and my co-host, Boss Ross, um, you can find us at the Double Turn Podcast on Instagram, the one and only J-Man19. Ross the Real Boss 85 on Instagram. He's also on Twitter at Boss. Uh, excuse me. Help me out with the Boss Ross TDT. Oh my God, what a fail. Boss, Boss Ross TDT is my Twitter yes, handle. Yes. On Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can find our podcast basically everywhere. You know, the main hitters Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, we're there. Uh, the Anchor app as well. And it is an absolute pleasure to be here with you guys tonight, gentlemen. It's been a true treat. All right, so uh, Hops and Box Office Flops, Google it, but it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play. It's now on TuneIn, it's now on Acast, it's on Spotify, Stitcher, a whole bunch of other places, but you're familiar if you are tuning in now. So, And as always, streaming from your mom's basement. Yep. Hey, and I just want to say, too, that the pleasure is all ours. We really enjoyed the fact you guys joined us. Thanks for being here. It's been fun. Thank you, guys, man. Uh, the, 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 us so, and the Thunderous Wizard, he's been on our show on a few different occasions. I apologize, but it's, uh, it's true. It's, no, it's, uh, it's we were super happy to have you guys on because you have been so gracious as to allow me to talk about wrestling and even talk about Roddy Piper fighting Gold Dust in the back alley of a Hollywood studio makeshift, yeah. which is always fun. Yeah, and uh, not to mention, you're going to be on with us again next month. We're talking uh, Brett versus Owen. Looking forward to that. that Brett versus Owen. Awesome. Oh. Uh, little Brett hark on hard action. One yeah, of my favorite yeah, wrestlers. Like and probably one of the best storylines they ever did. But we'll get to that uh, on your show. So this is Reunited, and it feels so good. Much of the cast of this movie has gone on to have pretty distinguished careers. Uh, they've also shared the screen together in other films outside of the Lethal Weapon uh, series. So the task here is to identify the movie and which of the Lethal Weapon co-stars appeared in it together. So you'll get one point for each. You get one point for naming the movie. You get one point if you're able to name the actors that were in it. Okay, so what is two. the format of the hints? Uh, I am going to give you a description of the movie and you'll just buzz in with I am too old for this shit. All right, so I'll give you a description. Beautiful. If, if neither team can get it, I'll give you another hint. We'll go from there. So this trivia contest is set for one fall. 
with a 30-minute time limit. In this corner, we have the Daisy Daiquiri, Captain Cash, along with his partner, <laughs> the notorious Chumpzilla. And on the other side, a tag team who has much acclaim, the Double Turn. Ooh. Hey, don't hate the player, hate the game, fellas. Save the drama for your mama. Yeah. What's your prediction for this main event, Chumpzilla? There's really only oh. one answer to this. <laughs> Let me tell you right now, you guys got 30 minutes in the ring with us, and it's going to be nothing but pain. You're going nowhere, and here comes the pain train. Woo-woo! And my okay. wife's going to kill me. Okay. <laughs> First of all, before I say anything, I would like to appreciate the very tremendous Howard Finkel interpretation that you just did there, Thunderous Wizard. That was my ode to the Fink. R.I.P. to the Fink. R.I.P. to the Fink. Rest in peace, Fink. And then Chumpzilla, on behalf of the Rastafarian, Boss Ross, and myself, you should know your role and shut your mouth. I will take you down, Know Your Role Boulevard. I will lay the smack it down, and I will stick my size 13 New Balance straight up your candy ass if you smell what TDT is cooking. Hey, don't forget, if we're taking them down Know Your Role Boulevard, we got to take them down Jabroni Drive so they can pick up their carcasses for the authorities to find them. Fair play, and I will check you into the SmackDown Hotel, Dagnab. I know is we got you for three minutes. Three minutes of playtime. Oh, I, you I, I, clearly don't know who you're dealing with here. I'm a styling, profiling, limousine riding, lear jet flying, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. Woo! I don't know my wife's really going to kill me. I don't know how far we can take this, but I will say this. <laughs> we are cerebral assassins. We are the game. You don't know how to play it. It's my time. It's my time. Boy, I'm enjoying this. As, <laughs> yeah. the, as the special guest referee, I did not know this would become so great. We should, we should probably just play this game, yeah. actually. Right. Number yeah. one. Moving on. After their characters were romantically entangled in Lethal Weapon 3, they would again share the screen as a married couple in this taut thriller about a missing child. I'm too old for this shit. I'm too old for shit. J-Man. Um, Ransom, and it was Mel Gibson and Renee Russo. That's two points to the Double Turn <laughs> podcast. But Woof. Hops and Box Office Flops, you kicked out at a... Long two count, you're still alive. Number two. These two co-stars would again share the screen in a wacky comedy about a relaxing vacation gone awry. Jeweled for the shit. Captain Cash. Gone fishing and Danny Glover and uh, Joe Pesci. That is correct. Means fish? Means fish? Pesci. You actually mentioned that earlier in the pod, I think. I, I sometimes did. when I'm drinking, it, it comes back. Yeah. The recall is right yeah. there. Which leads Brass. me to believe he's seen Gone Fishing on more than one occasion, which is completely on brand for him. Yeah, I have questions. I have no, questions. it's fair. It's fine. It's fine. Now, That's cool. we're at two to two. Number three, these adversaries would meet again with their roles reversed in this star-studded, muscle-fueled movie. I'm too old for this shit. J-Man. Jet Li and Mel Gibson in the third Expendables. That is four to two, double-turned podcast. Should have had that. Boss Ross, I got you, my brother. You're still alive, but if they get this next one, you're in big trouble. Okay, we're in trouble. Okay. 
number four. Their first appearance together kickstarted a franchise. The second collapsed one. Both were set in LA, and in both, one actor came out on the bad end of the business. The second time, in grisly, cut-in-half fashion. If you require a hint, I can provide one. Please. I think I know the answer. Wait, this, um, it's, I'm too old for this shit. This is Predator 2, and it's Gary Correct. Busey and Danny Glover. Correct. It is. You beautiful son of a bitch. Boy, we are. The cream rises to the top. Airplane We are all tied yeah. up. Heading into uh, what could be the last question, but I do have two more. One was like so hard, I didn't think anybody would get it. So number five, four to four at number five. These longtime co-stars would share the screen, albeit briefly, in this humorous and thrilling tale of high-stakes riverboat gambling. Oh, uh, oh, I'm doing for the shit. Captain Cash. Maverick, and it is fucking uh, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. Danny Glover, uncredited Maverick. He's robbing a bank. Whew. Yep. I, would have, I would have not remembered the title of the movie, but I definitely would have remembered that it was Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. I knew it was Mel Gibson and Maverick. I didn't know Danny Glover was in it. He's in it for like... Very briefly, like a half a second. Seconds. Yeah. This was I've like... Ni- was this 1990 that they made that movie? Because this 90, was after... No. 95? No, no, no. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we can do the next one. You'd have a chance to tie it up. Uh, I don't uh, think you guys are going to get it. Tie it up, you beautiful sons of bitches. Let's make this a game. Lay it on us. Let's do it. You so know what? Six Let's to four. Six to four. Uh, hops and box office flops. And the last. We're in overtime. This is like an Iron Man match now. It shifted from a tornado tag to an Iron Man match. These two co-stars would reunite after several years in this remake of an awkward British ensemble comedy. I have two hints. Please. I'm too old for this shit. Okay. Captain Cash. Four weddings and a funeral. Incorrect. And it's Pesci. Fuck. And also incorrect. Four weddings and a funeral. Chris Rock. And um, hold on. Give me a second. Chris Rock. Four weddings and a funeral. Wait. Shit. I, I know what I did wrong. It's not four weddings and a funeral. It is not. No. Oh, no. you're ah, Darn it. It's the Chris Rock Martin Lawrence movie. And now I cannot remember. It's Chris Boomerang? Rock. No, it's not Boomerang. It is. Um, Still got a hint. groove back. Peter Dinklage stars in both and plays the same role as the dead person's short lover that the family never knew about. What, what's the Gary Oldman midget movie? The preferred term is little person. It's tiptoes, but that is it's not tip-toes. this movie. No, I just wanted to get a tiptoes reference into the pod. Peter Dinklage stars as the because Peter Dinklage is in Tiptoes. Gary Oldman plays lover a little to person, the father of the family who is it is his funeral. I'm Anybody. not too old for this shit. It is death at a funeral, and it is Chris Rock, but I cannot remember who is that person in that movie with him. It all hinges on this. Can he get the last co-star? Danny Glover. Googling is cheating. Yeah, I see the reflection in the glasses. I am am cheating. You motherfucking cheating Googler. I am so sorry. It was Danny Glover. He's uh, a Cliff or something. Did the referee see it? Did the referee see it? Can can I say that I do remember that um, Cyclops is in this film? 
James Michael Marsden. James Marsden. James Yes, at the funeral. And Zoe Zaldana is also in this film. Can yep. I get credit for remembering those without having looked at the cast? I am witness to the. I am witness to the fact that the rep was too busy with me being cold cocked knocked out before this even started so ref didn't see it uh pat patterson just <laughs> came from the back he told us to restart the match and that Darryl, no briscoe come on where's briscoe 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 got future endeavors <laughs> oh that's terrible All right, uh, go ahead. and the winners are the daisy daiquiri captain cash <laughs> and the notorious lord humongous chumpzilla Gentlemen, ah, oh, you guys, you, you got the best of us. I'm not surprised, but I will say this: I'm really proud of the fact that we hung in there. At oh no, yeah, so, well, that was, well that was close. Yep. I'm was surprised close. that I'm the one that got Predator too. I felt like that was one of the more obvious ones. I'm, I'm I, I give you that. I'm really happy because I was close I, on the rest. No, no, you did a great job. I am so happy that I outwitted. I shouldn't say outwitted. That I was just quicker on the I'm not too old for this shit than Captain Cash on the Expendables three because I knew he had it. I was like, don't just just hold up a little bit. That was, that was a daiquiri's helping me out there. So uh, <laughs> many daiquiris. And the fact that I've never delicious. seen an Expendables movie, so I am worthless. I honestly I regretted bringing up Gary Busey because I thought that would like make the Predator one too easy. Because if you if we get, if you don't talk about him being in Lethal Weapon, you're not going to think about it per se. Because well, he, he the looks like a totally different person than Lethal Weapon by the time he's a Here's the problem team. with that. you got to understand your audience here, Mr. Wizard. And J-Man and Boss Ross, they probably don't know this, but Gary Busey is always in the forefront of my mind. Everyone's so, mind, yeah. And Jake Busey. And, Just right up there, yeah, smiling, yeah, yeah, real too big, teeth yeah, way too big. Lots of teeth. Just like, yeah. You live yeah. by the code of... Uh, the code of Gary Busey on celebrity rehab team together. Everyone achieves more. Yeah. So, you know, J man on the, uh, the ghost in the darkness pod, uh, we were talking about the director, uh, Stephen Hopkins. He directed, uh, predator two as well. Oh, okay. And the thunderous wizard tried to make the point that the ghost in the darkness was actually the better movie because, or the best movie he's directed. Because it is. <laughs> and I said, no, that's not true. Predator two rules. And it has Gary Busey in it. Points, Predator 2. My, uh, my hint for Predator 2 was this film completed the trilogy of Pil Bill Paxton's sci-fi deaths. But Oh, that yeah, that works yeah. too. Uh, so we're going to move on to recommendations. Hey, hey, pour one out, man. Rip Bill Paxton, brother. Yes, we love Bill Paxton. We're going to do uh, quick recommendations before we close out the show. Uh, so we'll start with the double turn, guys. Do you have anything to recommend? We're still technically in quarantine. What's a good flick or show or something? I've got a few, man. Uh, that, that's, that's really what I've been kind of doing over the past few weeks is just catching up on my Netflix. Um, so I've got a couple. First of all, for, our, for anybody who's a wrestling fan, I'll flat out say this. Watch The Last Ride, which is the Undertaker documentary. It is essentially them doing the last dance for Michael Jordan, but the, with The Undertaker – I haven't, I, I've seen a, the first 13 minutes. It is utterly fantastic. I need to finish up episode one. And I think they just dropped episode. They're dropping it's, episode uh, it's very well reviewed. People yeah, are extremely loving. well reviewed. Yeah. And that's saying a lot. So for our wrestling peeps, watch that um, from a movie slash show standpoint. I was telling the fellas before we went on air that I just finished up Waco 
which is um, the show that they did on the Paramount Network a couple of years ago, and they just put up on Netflix uh, over the past couple of months, and it's about the Waco siege, and it's with Michael Shannon and uh, Taylor Taylor Klitsch, and um, uh, John Leguizamo is in. Did I pronounce his name wrong? Did I? I'm not sure. Yeah, Kitsch. 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 Yeah. Thank you very much. Definitely not Taylor Klitsch. Thank what? Klitsch. Yeah. No. No, or, no. Or the clit is real. It's the female orgasm that's a myth. <laughs> Fair play, Chumsilla. Um, so I highly recommend that as a show. Oh, your poor wife. <laughs> um, as a movie, um, damn. What do I, uh, the Back to the Futures are on Netflix. Enjoy. Take, take advantage of nostalgia. There you go. That's good recommendations, Boss Ross. All right. So um, I'm going to be... Well, one of them is kind of an old recommendation because I think I actually said this to you earlier, but because of the fact that we're stuck in this thing where everything's delayed, I feel like I have to bring it up on this show. Um, a movie that I thoroughly enjoyed that took a little different stance on the horror genre, even though it uses a lot of different uh, things to do the same type of tricks. Um, I thoroughly recommend that you go watch The Invisible Man. Um, I actually thought it was a very nice little twist on an idea that's been done before. Um, unfortunately, it's been done very poorly before. And I thought the Invisible Man took an idea and put a nice little edge to it. And it kind of made little tiny efforts to not be overly creepy and kind of be that subtle, creepy kind of horror movie. Um, so I thoroughly recommend the Invisible Man, and just because I'm a, and, and then on the, on the show front, um, I am a total Star Wars geek, I loved Clone Wars Season 7, if you have not watched it, please do watch it, it caps off a series where they did the Lost Missions back in like 2014, nobody thought they were going to bring it back, then they decided to bring it back, everybody was excited about it, but they had done a bunch of other series like Rebels and a bunch of other stuff that had been done really well, but since they were bringing Clone Wars back, everybody kind of put it up at a high standard, and I thought they did a very good job of it. Perhaps I'm being too apologetic of it. Some people might be very critically against it. But for me, as a show, if you are a Star Wars fan, if you are a Clone Wars fan, if you like that type of stuff, I highly recommend it. It really brings in the Ahsoka Tano character. It also completes the Darth Maul character during that time period. It also shows, because it is right before uh, the events of when Anakin turns into Darth Vader. So it shows the Darth Vader transformation. I thought it did a really good job. I highly recommend it. And um, I'll, I'll also do a wrestling thing because, of course, we're a wrestling show. Any of the Dark Side of the Rings, watch any and all of them. They are all good. As much as the ESPN 30 for 30s got a really good rep for showing the documentary side of some of the topics they did, um, I think Dark Side of the Ring takes a very nice little view of, you know, big time things and maybe things that aren't as covered as well in the wrestling business. Um, so basically, if it is attached to Dark Side of the Ring, go watch it. I believe it's on Vice. It's on Vice was, uh, TV. And they also, like a couple days later, they will drop it onto their YouTube channel. Vice, Vice TV go. is a hard channel to get on cable. So if you don't have cable... Just wait like two or three days. They drop it on the Vice YouTube channel. It is absolutely 100% worth it. Their first episode of the season was Chris Benoit, or the second part of their Chris Benoit documentary, which was extremely well done. And then I believe yes. 
They've done Jimmy Snuka. They've done a couple of other things. Dino Bravo. This, yes. And then Murder, Dino Bravo. Yep. And oh, and by the way, too. And, and by the way, I really must um, emphasize this. Even if you are not a wrestling fan, and I say that because a lot of times people say, oh, wrestling, I'm not really into it. I'm not going to be able to get into it or understand what's going on. I really do think Dark Side of the Ring does a good job in encompassing people who may not be as into it. They can still enjoy the content and still get enthralled and kind of get sucked into the content that brings it out. Go ahead. Yeah. So, hey, real quick aside here, uh, double turn guys. That that's Superfly Jimmy Snooker, right? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, are you familiar back when Deadspin was still a real website? Yes. They had a writer that used to do like the wrestling stories. I can't think of his name right now. The masked something or other. Probably the masked kind of, man. He was, yeah, he was kind of like an anonymous he's, contributor. He's still writing. He's still writing. Okay. His name's Dave Shoemaker. He's on the he's on the ringer. Man, he did a really good article about Superfly Jimmy Snuka about the murder of his girlfriend, I think, and how just that really weird and complicated that legal case was, and that McMahon was involved, you know, and it just that was real. Like you said, I'm not a wrestling fan, but that was a really good story. Like that was so like layered and intense. I'm like, wow, this is messed up. Which it was intriguing. It was very intriguing. And I'm so glad you bring that up, Chumpzilla, because what what Dark Side of the Ring does is take that exact same thing you just talked about, but they put it on footage, and it is like beyond well done. It's beautiful. They're ending their newest season now, and they're focusing on Owen Hart and Martha Hart, who is his who is his widow, is uh, really talking for the first time in, in forever in a day about that whole situation for, for those of you who don't know who Owen Hart is. I know most of the people on this show do, but just to clarify, Owen Hart is Bret Hart's little brother. He was an extremely talented wrestler. And back in May of 1999, it'll be 21 years later this month, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, he dropped, he died tragically on air in the middle of a pay-per-view coming down 30 to 40 feet from the ceiling. He was being lowered, uh, by a, by just, uh, Help me out, guys. Just a, 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 a rope setup. A rope setup. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, the rope let go from the top, and he came all <laughs> down, and he hit, he hit the side of the ring and broke his neck upon impact. Yeah, the the rigging failed. He dropped straight to the mat yeah. from the rafters. Did, I thought he landed on the turnbuckle. Was he it did. The side he of the he ring? did. It, it was yeah, his head on the turnbuckle. Yeah, it's tough. It's guys. Don't you know what? I'm all for like sports injuries and stuff like that, but that one's tough to watch. Don't don't Google that. That one's it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Um, really is. Yeah. Uh, if I can jump in real quick. Yes. Yeah. The, the Invisible Man. Uh, where is that streaming currently, or is that a thing I have to buy? You have to uh, still pay to rent The Invisible Man. It, it, it's like it one, was of those one of the theater at home experiences. Yes. Like, I, I think like Bloodshot and Onward. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Or, or, or you can pay a local teenager to pirate it for you. He's not as Either menacing or. as a uh, invisible Chevy Chase, but he is quite menacing. <laughs> uh, uh, Listen, Zilla. invisible Chevy Chase is absolutely a complete monster that we need to stop right now. Yeah. Uh, Zilla, yeah. quick recommendation. Yeah, quick one. So, hey, I'll just uh, cop out here and say you guys should definitely revisit because we're all in lockdown here. 
uh, you know, got time indoors. Revisit my favorite Danny Glover movie, and that would be The Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, that's a great recommendation, though, because it's... I, and that's an excellent movie. Yeah, 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 I know. It's it's Wes Anderson. It's a little twee, but I really enjoy that movie. And, uh, yeah, Danny Glover's pretty good in it. It's an interesting turn for him as an actor, and I enjoyed it. And it's such a refreshing thing because the later half of Danny Glover's career is an entire library of B movies, straight to DVD movies. He's yeah. the big screen movies he's in are few and far between. And yeah. you know, you do what you gotta do. But my real recommendation is that, Hey, everybody, it's been a long run. We probably got a few more weeks ahead of us at least. Just don't forget to take care of yourself. Self care is important. I'll steal a little bit of the, the heartfelt please from captain cash here and say, just, it's okay not to be okay. Take a break. Relax. Get outside. Get some air. Get some sun. Maybe keep yourself distance from folks. But, hey, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay, I think. So my recommendations are going to be things I think I've recommended already. Oh, but come on, you again? fucking bozo. Would you recommend something Are you going to recommend Ozark again there, Captain Cash? I've recommend- never recommended Ozark once. Oh, well, gonna, I'm sorry. No, the whatever it was. Are you gonna recommend Frozen Daiquiris? First Kingdom. They're frothy. They're they're frothy and light. Just, and just recommend day drinking and not giving a fuck. And we hey, daiquiris. Are you are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna shut the fuck up so I can recommend a thing? Coffee. Uh, coffee it's coffee, the same coffee, thing. Coffee, can I just Joe? use old audio? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just just cut it in from the last pod. The the things I'm, I'm gonna recommend are Disney's Ducktales, the the most recent run are really weirdly amazing. If you haven't seen DuckTales, it's been around since 2017. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And the, uh, the other one is going to be uh, the Harley Quinn cartoon, which is available on uh, DC Universe. Or, uh, you know, if you're uh, feeling like flying the black flag, you can probably find that almost anywhere online. I did not know that Kaylee Kuko was the voice of... Uh of Harley Quinn, but shout out to her for doing that. And I heard she's doing a really, really good job. Cuckoo. That show is, is really, really good. I hear it's pretty gnarly. People people love that show. Yeah. I very strongly recommend like, check that show out. Hold up because boss Ross brought this up. I want to put a little cap here on the recommendations. There's been a lot of uh, leaks. I won't call them leaks. Maybe just, press releases and information that's come out about the next season of the Mandalorian, which I really enjoyed the first season. Well, everybody. Like, yeah. It, uh, it wasn't perfect, but it, it's so star Warsy in the best way possible. I really enjoyed it. It was the most it, okayest TV show I've ever seen. It was the best thing that, that Disney's done with star Wars yet. Aside yeah. from uh, rogue one. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. It's better last than 20 minutes of rogue one. I'll give you. It's, oh, it's better than episode seven, eight, oh, nine. Oh no! Down. Okay, hold on, hold on. Rogue One's the one where Darth Vader absolutely kicks ass at the end of the movie, right? Yes, yeah, the yeah, last yeah. half hour of Rogue okay. One is absolutely fire. The rest that was of that movie so with, with 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 Jin Erso and all that crap sucks. No. Oh boy, we might have to have you guys back on for yeah. for a, for a round. We're gonna have you back time. on for twenty minutes. Twenty minutes of playtime. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's really, that's all I have got from a wrestling perspective. I just, 
that's pretty good though. Sam Sam Raimi <laughs> Spider Man gags. That's right, that's well, it. That's not Sam Raimi. That's Macho so Man. I can recommend but, this thing. A yeah, new recommendation. I just want to say, like, not did a, you guys did you guys catch one. Boba Fett's spur jingle in that episode where he collects the the other bounty hunter? Because that's what the internet's all buzzing about. I did. Because oh, he's I heard coming that. back. Tamara yeah, Morrison has confirmed he's yeah. coming back as a right, but, but but they are but they, they, it's not just like a, they actually this is planned. When you I can't think of the episode because of course it's planned. Of them. It's a show about Mandalorians. He's the most popular Mandalorian because he you, no. But my, my point is that, that's so badass. And that's of course, yeah, I when, when Boba Fett walks, I'm like I heard it. I didn't put two and two together. I heard it. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting sound effect. I, whatever and then i see that and i'm like that's badass i am i am thoroughly pumped i couldn't be more excited for that i thought I'm you were going to say that uh they're bringing ashaka or ashoka or however you pronounce her name well they so are, they are. She's ashoka coming, yeah she's gonna yeah, be on ashoka. the show as well yeah so anyways yeah. my recommendation for this week and katie sackoff's gonna be back as whatever character she played i don't even remember i don't uh, know i didn't watch Bo-Katan. i'm sorry boss ross yeah my recommendation is the nice guys like Lethal Weapon, it's a mismatched buddy comedy. And like the original Lethal Weapon, is written by Shane Black, also directed by him. It is very much in the vein of my favorite Shane Black movie ever, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. As it pairs, a younger star with an aging acting favorite, in this case, Ryan Gosling, and pod favorite, the Wampin Wallaby himself, drunk Russell Crowe. And it is a fantastic All thought anyone, any place, anywhere. It is hilarious. Fighting around the world. Uh, it is great. So before we close out, Queensberry rules. Uh, what we're doing in the coming weeks, I'm going to let the double turn tell you where they can find their, uh, tell you where the, you can find their show one last time because it is a fantastic wrestling podcast and I cannot wait to talk Brett and Owen. Brett is my guy. Um, you know, it's funny. I went ahead and posted something on the Instagram page saying that he is not in my top five Canadian wrestlers ever. He's like six, but not five. That being said, you can find myself at the one and only J man 19 on Instagram. And you can also find us at the double turn podcast on Instagram. Ross, go ahead and tell them where they can find you, my friend. All right. I will go slower to make sure that people can write this down, even though I do try to go fast just to make sure I remember it all. So it is Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, CastBox, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and the Anchor app. Good and job. Though, though, to be fair, I, I am both very drunk and very dumb. <laughs> fair. I, will, I still I went will, slow for anybody like you. So there I'm we not going to argue. I will say highly inebriated, but definitely much smarter than myself. So... Uh, we got some fun stuff coming up. It is bordering on the summer, and it is summer rage with Nicholas Cage. We're gonna start off with face off with a returning Mayor McCheese, because he Sweet. begged me to talk about John Travolta and Nicholas Cage swapping faces and apparently body types. And then we are going to do a couple other Nicholas Cage movies to be announced. Thank you to the Double Turn guys for coming on. This was a real pleasure. It was a lot of fun. We will do it again. Apparently, I have to defend the honor of Rogue One, which I never thought I would have to do. But I am more than willing to die on that hill amongst all the other people in the movie who die. 
took and, the joke I was trying to make. Son of a bitch. Yeah. So uh, thank you for joining us. We will see you next time. Face off. I'm going to take his face off. I can eat a peach. I can eat a peach for hours. <laughs> no, don't end on that. <laughs>